to Talking About Pigs with SMEC, a podcast where individuals from the Swine Medicine Education Center come together to discuss swine topics over coffee. My name is Dr. Meredith Peterson, and I'm a postdoc and veterinarian with the Swine Medicine Education Center. I'll be your host today, and with me I have Dr. Gabby Dawn. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So uh, I'm also a veterinarian and second year postdoc with the Swine Medicine Education Center. I'm currently pursuing a master's and PhD, and much of my research has been focused on understanding water biology and swine farms. And so this kind of includes topics on water quality, biofilm development, detecting pathogen presence in water, and then methods for disinfection. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you for being here, Gabby. So just an overview of um, if you're a first-time listener, this podcast is producer-focused. Each episode, our objective is to answer producer-submitted questions. And so what we do here at SMEC is review current research, resources related to the topic, news articles, updates from meetings and conferences, and then we connect them to you, the pork producers, to be able to directly bring it onto the farm with you. This episode will be structured just a little bit different. Um, Dr. Dawn, is, her research is completely focused on water biosecurity, water quality, um, so it'll be a little bit more interview style since she has a lot of background on the topic. So as I mentioned, all topics are generated from producer questions. If you have a question that you'd like featured, please send it to us at isusmec at iastate.edu. That's I-S-U-S-M-E-C at iastate.edu. Please put SMEC podcast question in the title of your email to make sure that we receive it, and then we'll try to get it on the podcast as soon as possible. So with that, let's jump in. Today's podcast topic is answering the question, Should I be disinfecting my water lines? And is water a biosecurity risk? Like I mentioned, this one will be a little bit more question and answer since Dr. Dawn um, has a lot of background in this topic. And so with that, our first question, and my first question for Dr. Dawn is, should water be considered a biosecurity risk? Yeah, so from the research that's been completed thus far um, in numerous different areas, in environmental science and um, in water, research specifically? The answer is is yes, it, it should be. Um, most of our swine farms are supplied by privately owned well water that may be susceptible to some sort of contamination, whether that be from fecal material or other leaking septic tanks or other mechanisms of contamination. And so it's a general consensus uh, within that literature that groundwater is no longer considered a protected source as fractures in the bedrock or other types of macropores. And so what macropores are are these small hydrogeologic pathways that allow for the transportation of these contaminants. And so the presence of these factors within our soils um, can allow for these contaminants to move. And so most pathogen detection from private wells or groundwater sources has been completed mostly on the human side with a few minimal research um, studies into other animal species. That's a good point. And, and one thing to note at our um, ASV conference in, in 2023 in the spring, um, this really seemed to be more of a topic of conversation. So not only was water being talked about in the proceedings, but also in some of those hallway conversations. People are really starting to wonder and to ask what's in the water um, and what do we need to be testing? So you mentioned um, kind of about the, the human data. Um, what, has, what has that shown us about the contamination in private well water? 
Yeah, so when I was kind of digging into how often are, are Iowa wells contaminated, I found a study by the Iowa DNR that was completed from 2002 to 2017, and ultimately they tested over 55,000 wells within the state, and they tested for contamination in bacteria and nitrates. And so they found that roughly 40% of these wells that were tested over that time period were positive for fecal coliform bacteria. Additionally, on the viral kind of side uh, of things and that type of research, it's been estimated that roughly one-third of all private wells at any given time within the United States are positives for some sort of virus. Most of the viruses that they've looked at on the human side have been rotavirus or norovirus or some others, other enteroviruses um, that may mainly cause gastrointestinal disease in people. But, you know, additionally, these viruses have been found in private wells up to 300 meters deep. So this level of contamination is not exclusive to superficial wells. Um, it can include these deep wells, too. However, this pathogen presence doesn't mean that it has maintained infectious ability. But there is some evidence that infectivity may be maintained due to a few different factors. And so we had talked about these macropores. And so these macropores allow rapid transport times from the surface to deeper levels where the groundwater is located. And then also the temperature of groundwater, the lack of predators such as UV light, um, you know, that would inactivate these viruses or bacteria, you know, if they were on the surface. Um, the high moisture content and a few others also prolong the survival of some of these pathogens. And so some key points in general that I wanted to touch on was that groundwater is not as protected as we once thought. Bacteria and viruses have been found in these private wells, and they are prevalent. Uh, deep wells may be susceptible to contamination, too, depending on your geologic strata of composition within the location um, of these farms. And that groundwater can prolong the survival of pathogens, and we may, they may remain infectious uh, in this type of environment for longer than we normally anticipated. Wow, I think that's super interesting. And right now, we, it sounds like we don't have a lot of information on the swine side or the livestock side, but that human data does kind of raise some flags that maybe this is something we should be looking into for biosecurity reasons. For sure. And, you know, ultimately, we're, we're digging into the research on this side, and there's hopefully some studies that will be coming down the pipeline very soon that will um, hopefully shed some light on some of this kind of, um, at least the importance on the swine side. Awesome. It'd be great to have that information. The next question that we have is, how would you, could you just give a little bit of an overview of, of what a biofilm is? Um, we hear about biofilms and water lines um, a lot. And what are they? And, and maybe why should we care about them? Or why would a producer care about biofilms? Yeah, so biofilms are pretty much, so bacteria will adhere to a surface and then what they will do is they'll multiply and then they generate this extracellular matrix that protects them with on that surface so that they're resistant to antimicrobials or more resistant to antimicrobials or chemical disinfectants. It's just, it pretty much serves as a, a protective mechanism so that they can survive in the environment for a longer period of time. In order to understand why we should care about biofilms in water lines, we need a little bit of background information on this particular topic and different characteristics that can influence biofilm formation. Hard water is frequently found on swine farms, and what that is is it's an increased dissolved magnesium and calcium within water. 
And it can build this framework for biofilm to more easily adhere to those surfaces, and it can also make it more difficult to remove if you are using a chemical disinfectant that's not breaking up that mineral component on the inside of those water lines. Biofilm, as I had mentioned, can cause, it's a protective mechanism, this extracellular matrix, and that can protect it from antimicrobials or other chemical disinfectants. And so we really need to break down that hard water buildup um, that gets on the inside of those lines to quickly remove um, that biofilm. Biofilms can also develop in water lines from a few different sources, you know, different levels of contamination. So contaminated water, as we've discussed, can serve as a source for biofilm development as well as the pigs eating and drinking and then going up to those, uh, you know, water nipples and, and the wet-to-dry feeders. And they can introduce bacteria and viruses um, that can develop a biofilm on those surfaces and then go into the water lines um, themselves. We also have different environmental factors that can cause contamination as our water systems are considered open systems. And what that means is that they are open at the medicator, so inputs from the medicator can go into the water lines, and they're also open at those water nipples as well. And biofilms are readily seen as, you know, build up on the inside of pipes, or they can be invisible to the naked eye. So you're not, you, you got to do some testing to see if you have biofilm, um, if, if you do have that invisible um, component. We should care about biofilms in our farms for a few reasons. They reduce the diameter of the pipes, which can restrict water flow access and medicating ability to those pigs. And they can also clog nipple drinkers as well, as some of that debris can break off with different levels of uh, pressure through the, um, the water systems, and then it can cause those clogs and, and then the pigs aren't able to drink from that. And then if there are pathogens in these biofilms that are relevant to pigs, we need to know if they're being transmitted between turns ultimately, and, th and that would be reducing the efficacy of our all-in, all-out procedure systems that we, we have performed um, for many years to try to break that disease cycle. And so if there's pathogens that are being introduced to the water lines and they're not being disinfected and removed before the next turn of pigs, we could reduce that, that disease break. Additionally, antimicrobial resistance genes may be generated um, through these biofilms as they um, are often shared, you know, if they're, if they're present, they can be shared between those organisms within that biofilm. We have a question on if that's actually reducing um, the efficacy of our water line treatments to pigs or creating more resistant bugs as we're exposing antimicrobials to the, the biofilms within these water lines. There's also still a lot, a lot of unknowns in this area, which is where my research has been primarily focused. And again, hopefully we'll have some answers or a sense of direction on this very soon. It'll be really exciting to see um, what your results are and, and what you find there. You know, there's this potential biosecurity risk from uh, biofilms in the water and from the water itself. But I think one thing you mentioned is really important and that the biofilm can reduce the diameter of the pipes. And so if you're running water um, medication or vaccine through your water, you may be underdosing the pigs with that, which could potentially be contributing to more resistance or just not effective treatment or effective vaccination. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Um, so we know it's important to know if you have biofilm, but what can a producer do if they have biofilm in their water lines? Unfortunately, there's no sil you know, silver bullet for waterline treatment or, or a certain protocol that we can apply to every single farm's waterline needs. 
as everybody's water is going to be slightly different, the level of contamination might be different. Um, and so there's a lot of variables that go into it. And so each uh, farm is going to be unique with what they struggle with because of these different characteristics. And so, um, like I had mentioned, you know, some farms might struggle with hard water. Others may have more fungal issues within their water lines versus bacterial. And uh, they may require more or less frequency of disinfection that might be necessary for each farm. But there are a few things that you can do to get started on reducing biofilms or trying to understand your water line uh, and your water quality problems within your farm. And so the first one is to test your water at least once per year for water quality, trace minerals, and coliforms. And so once you know what your farm is struggling with, you can choose the cleaning products or solutions that would be more suited for your farm's needs. And then also if you have dead end water line systems, so it's not a circulating system, but a dead end system where there's a flush valve um, at the end of the barn, flush out those water lines to remove any debris or any residual biofilm that could develop within that area. And so that it can uh, keep the water lines cleaner without using a disinfectant. You can also flush your water medicator with clean water after every treatment administration, and so this would help with biofilms that are developing within the water medicator itself and just making sure that your water medicator is being kept up to speed and, and uh, can work appropriately. And then also talk to um, some representatives of companies with waterline cleaning solutions to determine which products may serve your farm's needs best. Awesome. So it's reassuring to know, and it seems like there's a few things that people can do on farm to help remove some of that biofilm, um, which is, is great. So I'd just like to kind of summarize some takeaways from today's topics, uh, from the things that Dr. Dawn brought for us. So the first one is that groundwater is not as protected as we once thought. Pathogen presence has been documented mostly in human studies, uh, because that's what we have so far. But it's also maintained some infectious ability in these studies, which could be a possible biosecurity threat to farms. So that might show the need for more research or focus on biosecurity of water uh, in the future. Biofilms can also pose a problem ensuring there's adequate water flow in the, to the pigs or can clog the drinkers and reduce the flow. So we know that chunks of biofilm can break off and clog the water nipples or reduce the flow of water. And this may also serve as a reservoir for pathogens or potential antimicrobial resistance genes. More research is actually being done in this area, um, uh, actually by Dr. Don, uh, to understand if this is a current problem. So we'll update you when there's any published findings from those projects. The next key takeaway, there's no silver bullet to waterline disinfection, but understanding your water through some routine testing can help you when selecting disinfection products or filtration systems for your farm. And I'd encourage you to work with companies that sell those products and how they can help based on your water quality findings because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. The best disinfection protocol um, will be different from barn to barn. Also understand that there's some maintenance things you can do when you're in the barn. Something we do periodically when we're on farms is, is flush that dead-end valve in the barn. And a lot of times you'll notice that when you first open it, the water might run um, very dirty, um, like brown, for maybe 30 seconds before it runs clear. And doing this periodically uh, may help remove some of that debris, which could be a seed for biofilm to start. Another easy thing that you can do today on farm is to flush your water medicator to continue flushing that after treatment 
any treatments are run through or a vaccine. That way there's not residual antibiotic or residual vaccine sitting in the water medicator. Thank you again for joining, Gabby. I learned a lot, and I think our producers probably will too. I think this is a super pertinent topic for our pork producers, um, and excited again to have had you on. So with that, all of our discussed resources are linked in the podcast notes. We'll drop the DNR study that Dr. Don discussed in there, as well as some other resources. If you have any trouble accessing these, or if you want your question to be featured on the next podcast or an upcoming podcast, please give us an email at isusmec at iastate.edu. Please share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and watch for our next episode. We'll discuss other questions submitted from pork producers like you. Hope you have a great day, and thanks for tuning in. A special thank you to Iowa Pork Producers Association for making this podcast possible through their sponsorship. Mm -hmm.